Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wallad Podcast. To all you long-time listeners, thanks again for tuning in and the constant support. And to all the new listeners who some of these big-name stars are bringing in, then welcome to the podcast. I really do hope you enjoy this episode because there is well over a 100 other lads for you to scroll back through the archives and get to know. But as always, if you enjoy this podcast and you are keen to support it, head over to waterlad.com where you can get your hands on some exceptional merch, some delicious coffee or discounts to one of our many partners' products. So do go check it out. That is waterlad.com. Anyway, I have an exceptional guest for you today. He doesn't go on many podcasts but he is one of the biggest lads in the game. So let's get to it. Oh, we've done it, folks. We've got one of the biggest lads in the game on the podcast today. And on top of all that, the kid can play. It's hard to believe that he's only 24 years old. His consistent performances in the yellow and black colours for the Hurricanes make him one of the all-time greats. And his form in the black jersey this season has seen him become one of the best players in the world. He also possesses arguably the longest kick in the game and comes up clutch almost every time. And yes, like I mentioned at the start, he is one of the great lads, so I'm Stoked to have him on, and what a lad it is, the man himself, Geordie Barrett. Welcome, Donny. Thanks, Jabba. Uh, it's great to be on here. Some kind words. Um, yeah, I had to. I couldn't turn this one down after seeing Toby uh, requesting to have me on, so it's great <laughs> to be here. Mate, Toby has been requesting you to come on for the last two years, and well, I'm stoked that we finally got you on here because I'll show him this in the morning. Great stuff. But it, it is it has been pretty cool to be fair, seeing how much influence someone like you can have on such a young kid. I mean, he just came to Hurricanes training one day. You walk up to him, say hello, give him a high five, and now he's been obsessed with you for that last year and a half and rides every game of yours like it's like it's his. And it's been pretty cool to see the influence that someone like you can have on just a just a normal kid. Yeah, that's nice. Um love hearing those stories and you only cast your own mind back and even when I was turning out to watch footy players or whatnot, you remember the ones that gave you a bit of time, even if it was 10 seconds, so no, it's cool. Mate, you're a bloody good inspiration to have for him because other than that red card that you got where he was in tears, um, everything else <laughs> has been smooth sailing. <laughs> <laughs> But let's start with the tour, mate. Obviously, you'll be um, pretty stoked with how your performance has been going. Uh, you would have been going into that tour hoping to get a good crack at that 15 jersey, but by the end of it, you'd um, firmly cemented it. Yeah, it was an interesting and a long tour. The situation we put in with COVID, everyone's going through it, so it was never going to be an excuse for us. Um, and you, we knew that as soon as he got on the plane and went straight to Perth. Um, we had a good rugby championship, a few good wins, uh, one week loss against South Africa, which was frustrating um, after we'd already signed up the tour. And then going into Europe and the USA for the second leg, um, it was pretty challenging. I think two and a half, two months in. And it's not easy going up there where strong northern teams are waiting for you. Yeah. Um, and you're at the end of your season. So that was always going to be a challenge. Pretty frustrating again to finish the way we did against Ireland and France. But look, it's yeah, a little rock under the beach tail, but... Um, Test footy comes in cycles, and hopefully next time we go up there um, in a couple of years, we can um, sort something out. And your form personally, obviously it started um, probably not ideally with that 
arguable red card. Um, that was your sort of first opportunity in that jersey, eh? And then did you feel like maybe that was your opportunity gone after that game? With the competition around, did you feel like maybe that was your one shot? To be honest, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I wasn't sitting too comfortable there for a couple of days. Um, like I'd been trying hard to get an opportunity for a couple of years to start in the 15 jersey and try and solidify a spot there and just get some minutes, um, to be honest. And look, the adrenaline was pumping. We just scored a good try against Australia. Mm. Um, they do a box kick. I get off balance. Uh, Marika ends up collecting my um, size 12, which wasn't flash. <laughs> um, didn't look great. And it happened very quickly. Um, and then got red carded. And I, was, I was in shock, to be honest, when it went off. Never a part of my intention to kick him in the face. And let's just say the judiciary went on for a while. Had Fozzy and Brad Moore. But Brad Moore's um, an ex-lawyer, so that helps. I think it was about two and a half hours uh, after training one day on Zoom, speaking to two South African people on a panel and one Argentinian guy. And it was—I'd never been through that judiciary process before, and it was unbelievable. Like we had someone doing understanding the physics of the timing of when I'm in the air and when I was coming down and certain angles. And, yeah, I was a little bit taken back by it, to be honest. That's but crazy, yeah. Thankfully, common sense prevailed and I was allowed to play uh, that next week. And, uh, yeah, I guess got the opportunity to play 15 again for the rest of the tour, so it was nice. Yeah, what, what's your role in that judiciary process? Do you have to speak? How long are you speaking for pleading your case? Basically, my job was just to say – what I thought and what I felt within the moment in the game. And I had the other people with me that had done all the homework. And um, so I don't want to overspeak and, I guess, jeopardise my position yeah. um, if I inflicted any of their findings. Um, so I just explained how I was feeling um, going up to catch the ball. Basically said I'd overrun the timing. I had to jump up and lean back to, to catch the ball on my chest and it just tilted my body backwards and it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And just sat there and watched everything else unfold for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> Loving life. <laughs> it was quite daunting because we're, on a, we're in a Zoom. So they'd have the panel in one sort of meeting room and then us is in All Blacks in another meeting room. So we'd come together as a full judiciary panel and then they'd go away and discuss findings for 20 minutes, half an hour. We'd go into a different room as such on Zoom and we'd just have to sit there and it was antagonising, like you're just waiting to (laughs) reach a verdict and then you'd come back into the room again and explain what um, had just happened. It's like a murder scene. (laughs) Honestly, I felt like I'd... Killed someone that day. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said that you did get your um, 15 jersey the following week and that was against South Africa and they love the high balls so you would have been preparing yourself for plenty of those and you came up trumps in that game. So talk, talk to me about that one. Yeah, um, we knew it was coming that those two tests against South Africa, put the helmet on that week. Um, <laughs> Herbert was on the turtle, I can't remember. It might have been... Debut that week. Um, <laughs> we've got a happy camper. For the people listening, Turtle was the big pad that you have on your back. So 
the nines were just kicking their hammies off and all the outsides were just bombarding Sevu on the turtle. <laughs> and it got to a point where he had had enough, he chucked the turtle on the ground and then I think Quintu Pai had to jump on. <laughs> but we just spent training like, all our little five-minute window box just catching high balls. And look, we weren't surprised in the weekend. Um, mm. It just it came straight towards us, fuck to clerk. Yeah, what, what, what is your mindset going up for those high balls? I guess for me... When I'm catching them well, you just got to take everything else out of the equation. Uh, it's as simple as you going, going up there to catch the ball. You start thinking about your own escort runners or their chases or if you're going to meet someone in the air. Um, then you start getting into trouble. So you just got to simplify it. Just get your own timing, judge the ball where it is and just go up and get it. And I, I find you have to go up and meet it at the top. And the guy on the ground beside you, the other, generally the other outside back, he makes a massive difference. If he's there to tell you to stay up or stay down mm. or catch it above your head, that that's everything. So we found a found a wee plan. Um, it didn't work too well in the first game, but um, we caught enough eyeballs as such to win that game. Mate, I wish I wish you told me this about five years ago. <laughs> that's that's great <laughs> advice for guys under the high ball. That's wizardry <laughs> stuff. I love that. <laughs> But you're also, um, in those games, you also thing that stood out was how clutch you were, especially, oh, both games, to be fair. You, you kicked the winning goal in that first one and you should have done the same in the second one until, until they ended up doing it themselves. But what was your mindset lining up those kicks? What's it like trying to kick a winning goal for the All Blacks? Is it the same as a normal kick or not quite? I'd, I'd been in two opportunities with the Hurricanes before and they were probably the only times in my career I've had a chance to win games. Um, got one of them, the first one. Missed the second one against the Brumbies, um, which right. was nagging at me for two or three or four months. Um, it just grated me, eh? Because they're the ones you want to kick, but mm. it's just the nature of it. You can't get them all, but I guess that learning phase from that helped me. The time between the end of our super season and the rugby championship, I actually went away and changed my kicking technique a little bit. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to one kick, I just felt like I had a little bit too much clutter at the back of my run-up. Yeah. Um, there was the knee lift with my um, left leg at the back of my run-up. And I just thought, look, if I'm going to kick 100 balls, that knee lift isn't going to be exactly the same all 100 times. So if it's a little bit off 10 times, well, then there's 10 different kicks and timing. So um, basically just went away, tried to simplify my run-up a little bit and but still keep that flow still try to kick the skin off it and kick it as straight as possible. So um, <laughs> I wasn't too nervous, um, to be honest, with that kick in Townsville. I had, like like I said before, I'd gone away and worked on my kicking game quite a lot. So I was feeling pretty good about standing over that ball. And yeah, just lucky it, it went through, held my breath a little bit as it started heading towards the left <laughs> upright. But um, I feel like I'm in a good spot with it at the moment. Mate, it's definitely working, whatever you're doing. But it's interesting hearing you talk about that Brumby's miskick and how it sort of sat with you for so long because one thing I sort of remember about you is just your ability to sort of forget about mistakes and just continue playing without it ever affecting you. You might have a moment where you do a loose offload and you're in the same position this, maybe five minutes later and that time you'll you'll try it again, but this time you'll nail it. It's one of the real strengths of your game. So it was interesting hearing how that Brumbies kick really, really sat with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's one thing within my game. You just try and take each moment and look, if I see something and back my instinct, well then I'm just going to back that instinct. The times that things don't work is then is when I think about that split second and I pause on instinct, that generally 
um, you'll make a mistake. But look, coaches and players always tell you nine times out of ten, the instinct will tell you the right thing. So that's one thing I try to have in my game. But I guess I didn't have that luxury um, after missing that kick jabber. We're out of the competition <laughs> and I didn't have a chance to kick a goal for another three months. So that's probably why I think about it. Yeah, that's true. Because it was 80 minutes, eh? Time was up. Yeah, time yeah, was up. That's um, right. And I kicked a brick from halfway mm-hmm. about eight minutes earlier. But still, as as good as you want to be as a kicker, um, like you can't get them all. So I learned that that day. That's it. And how were the boys around that? Did anyone give you a bit of stick or were they all good about it? They obviously knew that you'd saved them that many times beforehand. You you said it, you'd only done it once before, but, mate, I feel like you're kicking clutch kicks every week for the for the Canes. Might not be right on full time, but um, big moments in big games. Yeah, I've kicked a few down the stretch in games, Jabba, but not ones to, to win games. And but I, I was always a little bit disgruntled because I was thinking, shit, I'm a goal kicker. I think three or four years into my career now, and I've never had the chance to win a game, and I mm. wanted to do that. It's nice to win them, but it's not so nice when you're on the other side of it. I remember a few boys, um, I guess, walking on eggshells around, talking about kicking around me for a few weeks, but um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm pretty good about it. <laughs> cheek, I think last too much longer after that. Yeah, a couple of days into Mad Monday, maybe some boys might have been giving me a bit of chip. <laughs> well, I'm sure you gave it back, no doubt. But I guess with a tour that long, um, you had guys had a lot, plenty of downtime. And uh, talking to D Mac and uh, Will Jordan the last few days, sounds like you are absolute gun on the golf course, scratch golfer. Can't believe that. Um. My handicap index says so, Jimmy, but I didn't play like it for most of the tour, and that's quite frustrating. I was pacing the hallway before my last <laughs> round in France with a wedge in the hand thinking, shit, are you actually a good golfer or not? <laughs> um, after going above my handicap for most of the tour, and the boys are probably asking similar questions, like, is this guy actually good at golf? Um, but look, I got a couple of nice rounds in on tour, which is good. I play... A lot in the summer, actually a lot during the season as well. Yeah, the coaches, I think, already know that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, play quite a bit, sneak off after training, try to get 18 in. So, When did you start playing golf? What age? Started playing golf at eight years old. Oh, yeah. So I used to get dropped off at the Pongarehu uh, Golf Club, which is at the top of the road. Um, where we live on the farm and granddad lived on that golf course. There's a sheep course. So there's sheep on the golf course, basically <laughs> mowing the pillows. And I'd just get off get off the bus and walk down the hill with granddad. He'd, we didn't actually go onto the course too often. We'd only go on there on club day on Sunday, but we'd just walk down the hill. He'd put a car tire out and out on the middle of the fairway and I'd just stand there and chip balls into a car tire for, for an hour or hour and a half and then wait till mum and dad had finished milking the cows and they'd come pick me up and we'd go home. <laughs> Mate, that's that's babysitting, like that. That's a great idea. You've obviously lived a very eventful life for a 24-year-old. Um, you've done so much in, in your short time. So let's let's go back to the start. What was it like 24 years ago? Yep, um, 24 years ago. Yeah, I think I was, I was, I was two weeks late um, and... Mum had to get juice, and my brothers always give me a bit of stick because it probably took me about 23 years to get my time management sorted. <laughs> um, 
I always thought it was pretty amateur teammates, so I thought it was pretty blase rolling into meetings a couple of minutes beforehand um, without a worry on my face and us in their sweet arms trying to call me, thinking, where are you? We'll walk in, be sweet as, happy as Larry. But look, yeah, um, yeah, 24 years ago, yeah, born and raised on the coast with a big family, like you said. And what, what was it like? What was it like being raised on the farm with your massive family? Yeah, it was awesome, mate. Um, we, us kids were so lucky. Mum and dad worked so hard and got, set us up, gave us all the opportunities in the world. It wasn't till I guess, at high school or even leaving high school with appreciation for what they did. I don't know how you juggle having eight kids um, and they're such hard workers. Like You'll struggle to get dad off the farm. Mum was on the farm milking, rearing calves, and then trying to cook and do all the things and just be a mother um, for eight kids. So appreciation that us boys and girls have for them. Um, yeah, they they were awesome. Obviously had a lot of help from our grandparents and neighbours and family friends as well because you, you'd imagine on a Saturday morning you got four or five direct, different directions to go. So, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And growing up with four older brothers, um, it probably couldn't have been any better for me. We, we looked after ourselves as... Mum, dad are working, and um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and we've obviously heard from um, Bodie on a couple of your backyard stories, what you guys used to get up to. But mate, it must be crazy to think back and realise that you were actually playing backyard footy with a couple of All Blacks, and it probably would have been three if Kane didn't get the concussions. I mean, he was a beast as well. So crazy to think the quality of your backyard footy games. Yeah, it was awesome. Actually, our cricket games probably better. Um, we'd We'd wear the grass out um, on our back lawn and um, we'd often stay out there and I was the curator of our home ground called the BCG, Barrett Cricket Ground. So um, all 40 kilos of me or whatever it was back back then, I'd be leaning on a, a roller that I'd got from Dad's implement shed, um, just walking back and forward on the pitch, um, rolling it and I guess trying to get this deck as flat as possible to try and have some good cricket games and looking back now, it's probably not the smartest thing to do because I ended up just bowling to my brothers on a road all, all afternoon. So um, <laughs> we'd, we'd come in, not at six or seven o'clock when it was dinner, dinner time, um, we'd come in when the sun went down. So uh, we had some awesome games in the backyard, Crowley boys as well, across the road. And so you probably, did you prefer cricket at this age? Um, up until 19 years old, um, I was just completely 50-50, cricket mm. in the summer, rugby in the winter. And that's pretty cliche, but like most Kiwi boys and girls. But like it wasn't until I guess someone else made a decision for me that I went the rugby path. And was that the New Zealand under-20s? Because I remember, I remember you coming into training one day with the Naki and you – Mate, you were you were pretty gifted. Like I remember thinking firstly that you've come to the wrong unit session. You you're supposed to be with the Fords. And then your your skill set was just next level. Uh, and then I remember asking, I think it must have been Clarkie afterwards if you were signed or what the deal with you was and he said that, nah, I think he's he's off to cricket where he's not gonna play rugby and I was I remember just being absolutely shocked. So was that was that legit? You were genuinely thinking you were you're off to cricket? Yeah, I think that might have been my first well, my summer straight out of school then, popping in senior, um, dominating for the Naki. It was a great watch, Jeff. <laughs> um, glory days. The glory days. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think, yeah, at that stage, um, I was trying to push really hard for the New Zealand under-19s. I think they had a tour to the Bangladesh or UAE um, then, and that was in February and, well, the following following summer. So I went to the tournament, CD under-19s, and I thought I was a good sniff of making that. Um, probably underperformed at the tournament and didn't get picked. Got picked mm-hmm. as a non-travelling reserve. True. Um, and fair enough, I probably wouldn't have picked me either after watching me bowl at that tournament. Got slapped everywhere <laughs> um, on roads down at Lincoln, Lincoln Oval. Um, but And then went down to Lincoln, I guess, a month later um, after I didn't get picked for that World Cup and went straight into Lincoln Rugby, uh, Crusaders Knights the year after, then under 20, so it happened pretty quick. Crazy, yeah. So if you made that under 19 stand, do you reckon you would have been playing cricket now? Um. Probably, I genuinely think I would be. Um, Crazy, because at that stage I didn't make I didn't make New Zealand schools or New Zealand barbarians for rugby. So that would have been my first representative team um, with the under nineteens as a cricketer. So who knows? Probably lucky I didn't get picked. They might have found out a couple of years later that I was a bust. So um, <laughs> who knows? Hopefully the selectors done their favour. <laughs> And you talked about your uh, move down to Lincoln Uni. Give us a rundown on that. That were that must have been where you learnt to drink your piss so quickly. Yeah, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, what was your living arrangement? We'll start there. Okay. Um, went down there. I was actually on a rugby scholarship. So I had to be there and, I guess, train with a bit of footy and actually maintain some grades. So that probably kept me in line a little bit. I was in the halls for the first year. I just played... Colts footy, yeah. Um, we had a great team, Celestia Ayasi and Brett Cameron. Oh, a couple of lads. No, we weren't even playing senior club footy. We we're just playing Colts, mucking around, to be honest. And yeah, like you said, just enjoying being a uni student, rolling out of bed at eleven o'clock, um, going to lectures at about one o'clock for an hour, and standing around in the cafe deciding whether we should go to the next lecture <laughs> or deciding whether just to. Go and kick some seeds all afternoon, and um, <laughs> often it was the latter. So <laughs> I wasn't very much of a student. To be honest, I was pretty like I was good at school, but I guess when I had, I could make my own decisions down there. Um, yeah, I drifted a wee bit. Mm. How many times were you on the source a week down there? Um, generally, what student student night was Wednesday night, so Wednesday night for sure, and then depending on. If anything was happening on a Thursday, um, often <laughs> a rubber arm would be twisted on a Thursday. <laughs> and then Friday, Friday just the day for the dust to settle. And then um, <laughs> Saturday, and then, then you're going to have a few beers after footy on Saturday, aren't you? So, the test match Saturday yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, it was a good time. In the second year, I uh, went into a, uh, while I was still down there, we lived in Christchurch, we were in a seven man flat. We found a flat in Centennial Avenue, a couple of footy boys, a couple of guys from down south, and yeah, that was probably one one of the great years of my life, to be honest, um, for, for a number of reasons. Is that the year you were playing for Canterbury in the NPC? Yeah, that was my Canterbury year, yeah. Mate, and what a year you had for them. I think you ended up winning Player of the Year. You are what, 19 years old? Absolutely killing it. Yeah, it was a massive year. It was my first year of club footy. Um, so played senior club footy for the first year that year and 
To be honest, I was still pretty naive at that stage. Love footy and generally didn't think I was too crash hot at it. Um, I obviously had a skill set because I trained hard and was always on the lawn as a youngster. But um, obviously a few guys saw a little bit of me. But that year went pretty quick. Got chosen by Razor to play for Canterbury. And we won the competition playing with Scott when my brother, which is awesome, won the Ramfley Shield. So that was just an unbelievable year. And your form was that good that you ended up being called into the All Blacks eh, as an apprentice. Was that straight after the this season? Yeah, it was. I think it was the... It was the day after, so we'd won the competition, had a massive night, um, obviously after winning the final, got home and there's a few of us boys just lounging around in a flat and got a call from a random number. I don't normally pick up phone calls from random numbers, but smart. it was, it was Gilbert and Oka. <laughs> oh, um, hey mate, Gilbert and Oka here, um, look we've selected you to come on the Northern Tour um, as an apprentice, and I was like, hang on. So I like looked down my phone again, looked around inside, make sure none of the boys is pranking me, yeah. um, as you know all too well. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, he basically told me, um, yeah, I was going on that Northern Tour as an apprentice, couldn't play, but that was an unbelievable experience, I think. I got told that I wasn't going to be selected, regardless of injuries. So from Monday to Friday, every single day, I was in the gym, um, even in a day off. And I think I went in there and I was maybe 91 kilos yeah, or 92 kilos, uh, five-week tour. Um, and I come out of there at about 98, 99 kilos. Right. Um, so I was just eating and Nick Girl just had me on this stupid gym program. All the boys are in there doing their power session on a Thursday, smiling, laughing around. And I'm in to my eight to twelve reps and in the corner, just <laughs> under it. like never seen a gym before in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm just throwing in. So yeah, use this five weeks to put some size on. <laughs> That's correct. And what's it like being in the all black environment, knowing that you can't play? And as an apprentice, did you feel like you were a part of the team, or did, was it quite an awkward sort of feeling? That was awesome. Bit of a luxury having two brothers in there, which made that step a little bit easier. True. Yeah. Um. So, no, it was, it was a great phase for me. Learned a lot. Most of those guys in there at that stage, um, I had pictures of them on my bedroom wall, so um, it was an <laughs> unbelievable experience. Down at the uni halls. <laughs> yeah, down at the uni halls. The pictures are probably on the wall to cover the holes in the wall. <laughs> and then you obviously moved to the Hurricanes, so talk to me about this one. Um, my memory of it was Bodie told me that um, – he asked me if I was leaving or not, and he said, if I leave, that you will sign with the Hurricanes. So although I did a few good things at the Canes, I feel like the best thing I ever did for that Hurricanes franchise was leave so that you could go there. Is there any truth into that? <laughs> I didn't know that, actually, Jabba. I was actually disappointed when I found out that you were leaving. They promised me that you were going to offer a mentor mentoring role um, <laughs> as a young buddy 15, and then... Turned up there and had to take the advice from Corey Jane. <laughs> well, that worked out pretty well for you. <laughs> <laughs> but what was what was the real um, story? Obviously, Razor would have been keen as to get you at the Crusaders. I'm sure all the teams would have wanted you. Yeah, it was tough because I was on a high at that stage um, after playing with Scott for a year, and that was such good fun. But there's a lot of me. Like, I grew up as a Hurricane supporter, and that, that age, you, like I was 19, 
So I was still a fan in a way, and all I ever wanted to do was play for the Hurricanes. So mm. there's a big emotional attachment to the Hurricanes. Um, obviously, Bodie was there. Dad played there. And just the fact that it's a little bit closer to home. Obviously, enjoyed Christchurch, love Lincoln. But it just meant I was able to get home during long weekends, bye weekends, and just get back to the farm and, I guess, connect with my mates up, up at home as well. So um, who knows how things would have panned out if I'd stayed down there. But, um, yeah, I've got no regrets. love my time at Hurricanes and I'm happy to be here. Oh, you're, you've been massive for that team over the last few years. It's I'm very glad you made that decision. But what was it like going into the environment? What did you... You'd obviously come from the All Blacks environment already, so did you feel quite comfortable in the in the Super Rugby setup? Um, well, it certainly helped being in that All Blacks environment, but then again, I had this tag on me. I was an All Blacks apprentice. I only played twelve games of minor ten cup. Um, as a younger brother of two current All Blacks, so there was a tag there and a bit to answer for. So um, I was I was pretty driven by that. And obviously wanted to succeed myself. So, mm. um, yeah, I had a couple of early big years with the Canes and just tried to train, train hard and keep my head down. And yeah, that's all I tried to do for those first two years, just earn, earn a bit of respect through, um, playing well. So that's all I wanted mm. to do when I went up to Wellington. Obviously enjoyed it. A uh, good group of mates there at the moment. You mentioned the success that your brothers had. Did you feel like that pressure was with you all the way through, even as a junior? Did you feel like you had a reputation to live up to in the rugby scene? Sometimes it did, um, particularly the last few years at high school um, mm. when I wanted to be a professional footy player. I think Bodie just debuted for the All Blacks, so had shown us that that can happen. And I, like I said earlier, I wasn't too crash hot at secondary school. Like, I, I played well enough, um, but wasn't gifted with um, size or speed or anything extra. And he said to grind it out for a few years there. So, yeah, that hung over me for, for, for a little bit. But like I said before, it just gave me plenty of motivation. And um, it was certainly never a burden. I, was, mm. I, was, I felt like I was gifted and lucky enough to have those boys to talk to about footy. And um, I guess, like I, like I said before, they paved the way and showed us how it's done so I was grateful for them and obviously proud watching them growing up as a kid What about the constant comparisons between you and Bodie or especially from fans, is, do you cop that all the time? Yeah, it used to happen quite a lot, um, I guess the easiest sledge and I don't know how many teams or fans or players have said to me, you're not the better brother or yeah. um, brother's better and I'm thinking um, I've actually got three other brothers Um Kane probably is better than me at the moment too. Uh, so is Scott. Um, so it's so pretty funny. And Blake's a better cooker as well. Yeah. But look, I was an easy target. But look, I, I didn't see it as a burden. He was in a, in a good position. Mate, and look at you now, mate. You're dominating the world stage. But there was a few moments in that in your Hurricanes career which were a little bit dicey. One was a... One that we've had about a thousand questions about for the end, but we'll, we'll mention it now, was the Maccas incident. You're down in Dunedin, you end up at someone's house with Maccas. What has happened here? Yeah, it's a bit of a, um, yeah, not my best work, to be honest, Jabba. Um, look, I think we had, I'm not sure if we won or lost the game. Anyway, it's irrelevant. Um, the team had a big night at Vault 21, just a big night post-game, um, a few beers and, to be honest, all I was after was a graze. Um, so I was with a mate 
And I think we Ubered to McDonald's and got a feed and then just went for a walk and just enjoyed being out in Dunedin. Um, just walked and talked on the street. Um, he thought in knowing a person that was in the flat, so he thought it would be a good idea to walk in there at about three in the morning. Um, I'd never been to Dunedin before. And naturally, we had, we had food in our hands, so thought, shit, whether it's their house or not, the door's open, um, went and parked up, had the food, stood up, left, went down the road, and then um, there's a couple of red and blue lights um, flashing behind us, and um, that's basically all the story story has. Um, still to this day, obviously remorseful and sorry for the, the discern that we caused those people, but... Um, <laughs> There wasn't much to it, to be honest. Yeah, so did they call the cops on you, was it? Yeah, I think they must have obviously heard people inside their house. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I, I didn't speak to anyone face-to-face. Um, yeah. Obviously a little little bit silly, but, yeah, didn't cause too much harm to anyone, and they just heard must have heard someone in their lounge or come through the front door, so they called the cops, and we walked yeah. 100 metres down the road, and they are after us. <laughs> oh, that is classic, and... Obviously, the media had an absolute field day on that. I know you're not a big fan of the media. Is that sort of the reason why um, you lost a bit of trust in the media? A little bit. It's probably the other incidents in the media that I lost a bit of trust with them. But, look, I guess that, that 24 hours wasn't too pleasant. Obviously, the, the cops took, took me back to the cells um, for questioning oh, with true. my mate and sat down and just made sure that both our stories aligned. Thankfully, they did because we didn't have time to chat about what we were going to say to the police. Uh, um, <laughs> anyway, like it wasn't very wasn't very comfortable. Um, they released us about an hour later from from the police station. Walked back to the hotel, tail between the legs. Probably at that age, um, I, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to get in trouble, and I was hoping the police didn't tell the media or. I don't know who, how it got out to the media anyway, but I thought I'd escaped it. Um, but I'd got a call from Tony Ward, the Hurricanes manager, at about 4.30 the following afternoon after the team had got back from the hotel. Um, and I was sitting in my lounge, hadn't even told anyone yet. And he said, mate, like, what's happened? Why were you um, at the police station last night? So basically just told him what I've told you. And then yeah. Darren Chand, the All Blacks manager, calling me. And then Joe Locke, All Blacks media manager, calling me. And I had to stand up in front of media a day later. And, yeah, um, it wasn't wasn't the best work, but it's all learning, eh? <laughs> exactly. Well, I learned it trouble again somehow. <laughs> yeah, talk to me about the other incident. Is this the one at the MCG? Yeah, so... Um, Boxing Day test, our seven-man flat from second year at Lincoln wanted a reunion, so we thought no better time than the Boxing Day test at the MCG against yeah. Australia. Had a couple of big big days of viewing and big days of grogging. So then we went around to, might have even been Bay 13 at the MCG. Um, there's heaps of Kiwis down there, right down the bottom, uh, in the sun, late in the afternoon, or might have been in, in the second session. To be honest, I just wanted some like some fresh air, body and head and guts is under it. Um, <laughs> those went down there, everyone just took their kit off, lathered in sunblock and just parked up and watched the cricket. We we're probably there for a, a good hour or so. All these other Kiwis chanting, whatnot. 
I'm just trying to find some peace and quiet. And then one of them recognised me um, under my hat and sunnies. And the, there's about, I don't know, 100 of them just turned around and chanted um, my name and basically see it off. Yeah. <laughs> and I, had, I was sitting there with half a unit of, I think it was, um, what, Great Northern. And they're only um, 2.5ers or whatever. So anyway, sitting there in my chair and reluctantly, obviously, I didn't even stand up, just sat there in my chair. Um, finished the unit and then thought it was happy days. They bowled another ball, whatnot. They'd started chanting to someone else. And then some little security guard comes down and taps me on the shoulder. And he's like, mate, you got to go. I'm thinking, got to go, yeah. Like, got to go get another four, four beers. Like, he's like, mate, you got to go. And so all my mates naturally started arcing up a little bit, thinking like, this is a disgrace. Like, what's happening? Why is he getting kicked out? Um, but I knew kind of what could have been at stake if I'd kicked up a big fuss and some people around there might have recognised me and whatnot. So I just put my, sh- put my shoes on, put my shirt on, all the other boys put their kit on as well, and we just slowly walked out in a, in a wee huddle. Basically, security dragged us out and then stood outside the MCG getting questioned by police, which was I thought was a disgrace. That's outrageous. So basically... Um, I said, like, what are we getting questioned for? And the police just said, look, it's not our decision or it's not our matter. We just have to follow up just a procedure, any incidents where stadium security kick people out. So they took my name and, like, I don't know how media got hold of it again or if those police have gone to the Australian media or whatnot. But so we had a guts full. We're fed up with the way we're treated. So we just went straight back to our accommodation. Um, basically to have a shower or whatnot and get changed and then go out into the afternoon or night or find a local, park up and watch the rest of cricket and phone started going off again. And it was might have been Joe Locke, All Blacks Media Manager Green, and then Tony Ward again, thinking what's <laughs> happened, what's going on over there. And I'm thinking, oh, this is deja vu, like not again. So, yeah. And then, but the thing that just didn't sit well with me was the headlines were, um, drunken or disorderly or alcohol-related incident with me at that stadium, and that was tagged to my name. But I wouldn't mind it if one of them actually just called me up and just asked me what had happened, get my side out there. Mm. I was about to put it out through my own social media channels what had happened, but I thought, look, the horse is bolted here. Everything's out there. I'm just trying to enjoy the next three or four days with my mates, so um, we made sure we did that. Mate, that is absolutely outrageous, eh? Half a vessel and you're gone. That is loose. I was expecting yeah, way more. Yeah, I know. It's it's actually when when people ask about the two stories, there's actually not much substance to them at all. So yeah, another Kiwi dude must have seen it happening. So he actually videoed me finishing the drink and then got the whole ordeal and it's that's so so placid like we just couldn't believe that you kicked out of a stadium for doing that. But look, I've learned, learned that now you can. Have you had to change the way you act out in public now? Because um, obviously in your uni days, you would have been doing a lot more things than that. But now you drink half a beer at the MCG and you're, you're out. I, I think in, in New Zealand, people are pretty good. And no, not really. You just be yourself and just don't, just don't carry on. One thing it did start was the whole Justice for Geordie campaign, which still lives on. People people love that one. <laughs> yeah, the whole Justice for Geordie thing um, it was actually a bit of a laugh and it boosted my morale, to be honest. I was sitting there and I was in one again, like 
down in the dumps, had people calling me, neighbours in the media, sitting there thinking, how am I going to enjoy these next three or four days in Australia with my mates? Um, but yeah, those videos that come out there are awesome. Like I said before, boost the spirits a wee bit and I guess lighten the situation. Mate, 100%, and no one did a better one than your good mate, Liam Mitchell. He did one of the great Justice for Geordies. Oh, chippy. <laughs> man. Don't stop there. <laughs> another big moment in your, in your Hurricanes career was another one sort of off the field was uh, your brother leaving off to the Blues. How did that whole process go down with you? To be honest, mate, like I was never too worried and never put any pressure on him, probably in, not until the last week when it got to D-Day and I could tell I could tell it was a massive decision for him mm. um, understandably all his connection to the Hurricanes everything he'd done for the club um, won a title there and I knew that he wanted to move up to Auckland at some stage um, of his career and look he, he was open and honest with me the whole time and it didn't worry me too much obviously would have loved having him there and obviously would have preferred for him to stay in Wellington. But I think the last week when he was making that decision was quite funny. We played golf twice, I think, and both times, um, well, I was playing with Ricky and Ricky's golf garden. He'd just keep dropping in certain little phrases like, shit, imagine turning down this sort of stuff. We're driving around having a few beers playing golf. Like, <laughs> how can you leave this? Like, Who's, your, who's going to be in your four ball up in Auckland? Um, just antagonising him. And Bodie's got a long fuse. Like, you'll never see him lose it or get frustrated. Don't think I ever have. But we can see he's kind of getting at boiling points a little bit, eh? Just like these <laughs> cowboys in this other golf cart, obviously trying to win a golf game as well. Just absolutely getting at him. But it was all in good spirit, and he made his decision for him and his family. So I'm happy for him. And now Ricky's gone up too. <laughs> yeah, I know. It didn't last too long. Nah. But you're you're hanging around. You're you're still signed with the Canes for how many more years have you got? You usually sign one at a time, don't you? Because you you got all the you've got all the pull. <laughs> no way, never. Look, like we've seen before, look, COVID, um, trying times around the world. You never know what's around the corner. So you should say I saw this pandemic coming four years ago. <laughs> With my next contract, I'd like to sign a longer one and who knows, lock in, in New Zealand for a, for a lot longer and like I'm enjoying my time at the Hurricanes. Who knows, I might try and go away for a stint somewhere in between. Hopefully I can tie that into a contract somewhere. Who knows, potentially dip my nose into Japan or hey. see how we go. But look, I'm, I'm signed in New Zealand for another year, obviously with a goal of winning a World Cup and ideally playing for the All Blacks, so I just want to keep, yeah, keep moving forward. Mm, like it. But you, you guys are handing around that Suntory contract, uh, Bodie to D-Macker. It must be you next, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if there'd be much left by the time it comes to me. <laughs> Mate, they, they better have plenty because, shit, your value on that market would be worth a fortune. <laughs> Oh, look, yeah, we'll wait and find out. Um, by all accounts, they love their time in Japan. I think Damien's just gone into quarantine now. I think he's six days in. He's getting sick of cold bento boxes um, and power outages. So um, I'm pretty sure he's over it. <laughs> oh, but you spent some time there in Japan at the um, last Rugby World Cup. 
Let's talk about that Rugby World Cup from uh, your perspective. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Like, I didn't play the pool stages. Their first game against South Africa was a big game in Yokohama, I think it was. Got through the pool stages pretty well and through the quarters against Ireland and then basically had a roadblock against um, England and they all crashed in front of our eyes, to be honest. And mm. Look, there's a lot of learnings we got from that tour that hopefully we can right a wrong next World Cup if lucky enough to be there healthy and selected. So, yeah, I think looking back now, I can't really actually remember too much. Hopefully I've taken plenty of the learnings, but <laughs> not ideal Not ideal uh, crashing out in the semi. You know, you got so much ex- expectation in the black jersey. Mm. Uh, we felt as though we let the country and ourselves down a wee bit. So, yeah, there's uh, something burning inside the, a lot of the boys at the moment and, yeah, eyes for France in 23. And what's it like sitting on a bench? You were you're on the bench in that um, semi-final, weren't you? What, what was the feeling like sitting on that bench? Were you just real keen to get on or was it such a big moment where you're starting to think, I don't mind if I don't go on here? I was so keen to get on. Like, yeah. You know me, Jabba, I wanted to be out there starting or out there as soon as possible. And I think I was left on there quite late. Yeah. It was just, I was hating it, like sitting there, the game was tight, things weren't going our way, and I just wanted to get out there and, I guess, try and contribute to the match. Um, another thing that was burning in the back of my mind was I was on the bench as a utility, so I'm thinking, I'm not going on there, am I a left winger, am I a fullback, am I going on as a right wing? What if one of the midfielders go down? Yeah. Um, I think I went on there as a left wing, never played there before in my life. Um so, yeah, I was a little bit taken back by that. But, look, grateful for that experience. Gave me a taste of what things are like at that level um, in those circumstances. So, yeah, great learning experience. Mate, and how hard is it having to cover so many positions? I'd imagine the All Blacks would have a pretty big playbook, uh, lots of different calls. If you're covering from 12 to 15, that's a lot of different roles you have to learn. How hard's that? Um, it's as hard as you want to make it for yourself. Um, at that age... I wasn't like I was. I prepared well enough. I'd kind of learn my role during the week, during the clarity sessions, do a few mental reps during the week, and then just get out and train. I certainly didn't prepare as deep as I do now. So I kind of just glossed over all the little detail within those roles, and it probably didn't, or certainly didn't help the way I'd go into those games. Like you'd be on edge a little bit, and that's just a part of the, the whole phase of going through. Uh, as a footy player like now I'm doing that much extra homework preparing so much deeper um, so then I'm now I'm just going out with a clear head and just able to express myself and back my instincts and hopefully starting to show in my footy but throughout those early years yeah you kind of just prepare just scratch the surface and mm. then obviously train hard but you know how it is you, you kind of gloss over little things and um, but now things are a little bit different and yeah working in my favour but Mate, is it what? Mate, some great advice there. Jeez, you've come up with trumps with a few pieces of wisdom throughout this podcast. I am loving it. Like I said, shame I retired, man. Maybe next year for Tassie I'll chuck the boots on with all this Geordie Barrett wisdom. <laughs> but what what are your plans going forward? You mentioned um, All Blacks is the goal. Um, have you thought any further than that? Would you always stay in Rugby Union? I know you've got um, a lot of people compare you to the great Tom Travojevic, um, who I understand you even got to meet uh, at the grand final this year. Talk to me about that one, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm an avid league supporter. Grew up mm. loving rugby league, following it 
with my brothers and yeah, I'll sit down most weekends and almost watch every rugby league game. Bit of a codehead, but um, yeah, it was it was awesome going to that grand final. Like we're sitting there, we've been on a bus from the Goldie to Brisbane, and well, there might be an hour and a half or two hours from memory, mm. and a few beers on the bus going up there. Um, <laughs> a few beers during the first half, and I didn't want like. Obviously, a bit of a fanboy, I thought, and I'd had a skinful uh, with, with sitting there watching the game. And Tommy Turbo was down there talking to Jonathan Thurston. They'd just done a halftime show. And I just sat there, and I was sitting beside Scooter, my brother, and I was like, should I go down there? And he was like, obviously, had a skinful as well. And he thought, yeah, bro, just go, just go. So I went down there. I think way to myself, oh, I went straight down the stairs, and saw Turbo standing there. He was taking photos, like selfies with like these kids and other fans, like r- leaning over the advertising hoardings. Yeah, I was walking down there. That's when it sort of hit me. I was like, "Look at you, you're a cowboy." Like he's gonna <laughs> think, "What's this yoga doing?" Anyway, um, got to Tommy and I was like, "Hey, bro, can I just um, have a selfie?" And he looked at me like sideways. I don't think he recognised me, which was good. And then got a photo of Tommy. And he chucked it on my story, obviously, and yeah, it was a, it was a great final. Um, <laughs> he obviously saw the saw the story and reached out to me that night, and um, I apologised him for pestering him and um, <laughs> not letting him have some peace on it on a night he probably didn't want to have to deal with too many people. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> I thought you must have had a few to go down and get that photo. <laughs> yeah, I certainly did. I'm surprised he didn't recognise you though, because obviously he probably bases part of his game on yours. Oh, it's, yeah, I'm not sure. Leagues probably don't watch too much rugby union, or um, mm. well, maybe he just didn't want to have a chat to me. He probably had a guts for him, wanted to head up the tunnel, which is fair enough. <laughs> you were just slurring. <laughs> but would you ever give league a go? To be honest, every off season or every time I'm sitting there watching a rugby league game, I think. Shit, I'd love to go over there and play some league, like just for a season. Mm. Um, and who knows, I might. Like I said before, it crosses my mind a lot. I just, I'm not sure what position I'd play. I'd, I'd love to just go over there and just give it a crack. Who You'd knows? have to be fullback, wouldn't you? You're Tommy Turbo Junior, or even <laughs> senior potentially. You'd take him down as a Dally M. <laughs> You'd be that good at it. Be able to tie the shoelaces. Um, <laughs> look, maybe five, maybe even five eight. Wouldn't mind um, kicking the skin a few times on fourth or fifth tackle, a few forty twenties, or putting up some floater bombs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what you'd love—the fifth tackle floater and, bomb. And, and, and defending in the front line. Um, yeah, trying to put some shots on, and you're allowed to be a grub in that game, so I love it. <laughs> yeah, mate, you'd be bloody good. So golf league, and rumor has it, well, Jordan tells me you might be off to AFL. Is that what Glowon said? <laughs> Glowon. Glowon reckons you and him are off to a training camp. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not running around a circle pitch all, all day. Mind you, I, I actually love the game of AFL too. Um, yeah. I sat, sat there last year when I was at the cricket, and I think the AFL guys are in their preseason. We saw them training and whatnot. Um, be good to go over there and learn learn how to kick a, a, a ball properly um, mm. for a couple of weeks. To be Get fair, that's that all that Will said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but cricket, too, you've got the Black Clash coming up as well. Mate, you're, you're just gifted at all sports. 
Oh, I'll probably get scheduled at that Black Clash this year, Jabba. Um, preparation hasn't been great. Normally, I'll try and have a few games with Piyama Cricket Club. Yeah. Um, club back in Taranaki. Um, but I will try to get a few games in before then. We don't multi-up as the top uh, run scorer this year. <sighs> don't know. It depends if I'm batting in that power play where you get double runs. Surely. Surely the guys target you for that round. Look, just don't put me in your multi if I'm bowling. <laughs> the one I bowled last year. <laughs> <laughs> so many options for you though mate so good even options are in the 15 man game so you've sort of made your home at fullback now uh, rumor has it that you were looking to make a shift into the midfield for the canes this year are you going to change your plan there or was that ever even a plan yeah I'd, I'd be lying if i said i hadn't spent a few hours in this quarantine hotel um thinking about my transition into 12 Something I might do at some stage, whether it's this year or next year or further down the track. But look, I was a 12 growing up with most of my footy. Um, I feel like my skill set suits that. But who knows? Uh, I guess I've got the next month and a half to figure out which avenue I'll go down. But look, I'm I'm happy with the way I'm going at 15. Mm. Um, but got a serious eye to playing 12 at some stage. So probably not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Mate, exciting times. So many options. Geez, I'd love to be your agent. He he must live the dream. <laughs> and what's your plans post footy? Have you got much plan? Um, you mean when I retire? Yeah, in maybe what, ten years. If I'm lucky enough to play for another ten years, um yeah, that's been a pretty good career. Um look, I'm not too sure yet. I I love the farm, love getting home to the Naki, um where the family farmers and Brothers there, so who knows? Um, yeah, something along that line. Would you work on the farm? Yeah, yeah, I could easily work on the farm. I I love doing farm work. Um, I'd probably get sick of pulling tits every morning though. Um, <laughs> not a morning person, but look, that, that that can change pretty quickly. But I just enjoy enjoy that lifestyle and being in the community and um, I yeah, love love all that aspect of farming. And what did you study down at uni? We, we didn't even mention it. It didn't sound like you're doing um, a heck of a lot of it. I've got an unfinished Bachelor of Commerce degree. Oh, yeah. Um, so I got through 12 papers um, of commerce and then went up to Wellington. And so that was on hold. The year I got injured, I think in 2017, after the Hurricane semi-final in Joburg, I injured my shoulder, had surgery. So I went down Sorry. to Lincoln and did two more papers of summer school. Over those months, so I chipped away a little bit more, but haven't touched it for three or four years. Fair enough. Would you? Are you going to look to finish it, or don't know? Uh, probably not. Nah, straight to the farm. Yeah, I'd rather do something a little bit different. Golf, golf, fishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're a good fisherman too, aren't you? You, you and uh, where's Hilson? Yeah, I, I got a little boat in Wellington last year. It's just oh, a, did you? oh, like a four meter or three and a half meter tinny. It takes on a bit of water, but it gets it, it, gets it out into the harbour. Um, we've had a few close calls down the, down the Cook Strait. Um, uh, it's good. Yeah, I think we, we disappear behind the swell a few times, um, backing ourselves a little bit. But, yeah, there's been a few hairy crossings with Liam Mitchell, Riccatelli, um, and Wes going out. Boat's starting to fill up with water, and Chippy's trying to shovel the water out of the boat. Um We've even tried a couple of times night fishing in that harbour, going out with a, a yui boom and a, a few beers and just sitting on the harbour, catching a little rap snapper 
um, under the limit. It's hard to catch some that are actually good to keep. Um, but there's things and stuff that go there, go through there, but we haven't been lucky enough to strike yet. But it's more just the principle there, Jabba, out on the water, enjoying it. That's that one Yeah, late doors parked up. You and the lads, what a crew that is too. Dangerous crew. <laughs> But, mate, what a journey. As always, we have gone to the Instagram for some questions, and whenever we get a big dog on, the questions seem to absolutely blow up. And, mate, at the moment there's not too many bigger dogs than yourself. So we'll race through some of these, but plenty of them were about the Maccas one, like I've already mentioned. Hell of a yarn there. Um, This one came up probably the second most. How do you get your power in your goal kick? Everyone wants to know. What's the secret, me included? (laughs) To be honest, well, for a start, just trying to kick the skin off it. That's, yeah. It goes a long way to kicking it far. But in the fact that I'm six four, just natural physics probably helps a little bit too. Mm-hmm. But look, at the top of my mark, I've got this little thing where I'll lean forward and go up on my toes three times. And Ben Blair, um, ex All Black, spent a lot of time Cardiff Blues, Crusaders, good goal kicker. He got that into my game when I was down at Lincoln, and it's more just about trying to feel light on your feet and light on your toes. You stand at the top of your mark and you're on your heels, you don't really feel that good about yourself. So it's more about just being feeling light on your feet, a couple of forward presses going up on your front toes, and that just makes you feel light and like you got a bit of rhythm. And I guess the step back in my run-up, that's just to try and generate a little bit of flow and then just like it. As you probably see, just a bit of a gentle tilt and some forward momentum. And I think the biggest thing to kicking far, punting or off off a tee, is landing on your same kicking leg. So obviously you got your plant foot, you got your kicking leg. When your yeah. kicking leg comes through, actually landing on that same leg, um, it just transfers power mm. well for me and I've found anyway. So that would be my biggest thing, land on the same kicking leg. Mate, that is some good stuff. And you even kick pretty much the same as when you're right in front, like maybe 10 metres out compared to when you're 60 metres out, don't you? You just you just smack it no matter where you are. Is there a reason behind that? Because not, not yeah, everyone does that, eh? No, nah, I think just so I can get consistent ball flight, even if I'm right in front or 10 metres to the left of the sticks. Yeah. If there's a penalty, well, I'll have my lot. I've got a long routine and a short routine. And the short routine, it's basically a two or three step. And that's I like to bring that in so I don't have to take it all the way back to the 22. There's just more margin for error. But yeah. just so people don't charge my long long routine. But, um, yeah, like I guess even if I'm in front on the 22 kicking a penalty, I'll still try and kick it hard and with the same amount of power. Well, not hard, just a good strike with plenty mm-hmm. of rhythm. Just so there's no difference in ball flight, like – see some guys chip it around there and miss every now and then, so it just takes all that yeah. out of it. Mate, I like it. And the next question around that was, what's the longest kick you've ever landed at training? Some windy days you must have landed one from for a decent length. <sighs> longest kick you've ever landed? To be honest, I've never actually gone back past. I've kicked on from 64 in Wellington before, and that was documented on World Rugby. But I've never, I've never actually gone back past sixty at training. Um, yeah. That's kind of my marker. If I go back sixty meters and clear the crossbar by three or four meters, well then I just take that as being over. Like I'm not going to go back to sixty five and try hit the crossbar. I'll probably lose yeah. my hamstring. <laughs> but I've never been back to South Africa. 
um, for a few years now, but I can't wait to get back onto the high valves, yeah, altitude there, and yeah, try and well, that's when I might try line one up from sixty-five, maybe a little bit further. Oh, be a bit of geez, that would be good stuff. And what do you make of that um, kicking comp you had with Elliot Daly? Was did you know how far he'd been able to kick it, or what was the what was the process there? Are you just poking the bear, Jimmy? <laughs> World Rugby told me that it's um, we're going to kick on the same day and same conditions and he won't know um, what I've kicked and then I see the footage come out and <laughs> he knows how far I've kicked it um, and I can see, I can hear in the camera and on whatever they're recording on there's a howling gale and he's kicking <laughs> on some club ground so <laughs> You make up your own mind. <laughs> got it. So let's let's put it straight. Have you got a longer kick than Elliot Daly? For the record. Look, um, at going off that footage in World Rugby Statistics, I don't. But <laughs> there's only one way to sort it, and that's get us together at one ground and have a kick off. Or do it in a game. That's it. Oh, I look forward to that. Maybe they should do they should do something like that. Have some races. Everyone wants to know who the fastest guys all the time. Let's get them all on the field and give them a race. Let's see who the longest kicker is. Oh, what a day that would be. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next question. Who would win in a scrap out of the brothers? This would be this would be a bloody good fight. Um, a scrap out of the brothers? What sort of scrap? Just a backyard scrap. No weapons. Oh, yeah. No weapons. <laughs> <laughs> if it's no weapon, if there's no weapons in a backyard scrap, well then that just completely rules Blake and I out. Um, <laughs> Blake's been known to throw cricket bats before. Oh, jeez, um, he's right on. Speaking of weapons, actually, one day I remember um, Blake and I had the upper hand on Bodie and cricket. One day we might have snicked him off or knocked him over. Anyway. Not sure if you if these those ten shot fireworks are still around. Oh yeah, yeah. But basically, we'd got Bodie out. Scott was there too. I remember, and we'd sent him packing, saying that you know that chant, na 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 na. Um, hey hey hey, goodbye. Yeah. So yeah, we'd yeah. sent him off, and he's gone inside. Packed. Well, we thought he'd gone inside and packed sad. He's gone into <laughs> his room or somewhere down the shed, and got those ten shot fireworks, <laughs> and he comes sprinting around the side of the house with these fireworks and just starts um, pointing straight at us boys. <laughs> I remember getting hit in the head with one of these 10-shot fireworks and singeing my hair. So I think he won that fight. But I think if there was a, a, a wrestle or a, a glove up, it would probably be Kane or Scott, no yeah. doubt. Which one? K- Kane was a mongrel, eh? Kane was, Kane was a tough yeah, bugger. I genuinely would back Kane. Yeah. Mm. Nah, fair enough. Oh, I like that. Okay, next one. When are you going to make your coastal debut? Everyone's hanging out for this. Mate, I'd love to make my coastal debut. Um, I'm hanging out. I've I've tried to put it in my one-year contracts that you were talking about before to a <laughs> coastal game. Yeah, Not I'd, I'd love money to. in the bank. All for love, Jimmy. You know that. <laughs> Bodie's played for the May. Has Scott? Scott hasn't, so... I, I think he wants to big time as well. But, yeah, love the coast. Try to get back there and watch as much as I can. Blake's played over 100 games for them now. So, yeah, yeah I'd hate to see what Blake puts me through um, in one of their court sessions or their initiation. <laughs> so, probably best to not play for them at all. <laughs> and where's Kane at? He, he completely can't play at all, can he? No, nah, he can't play at all. Yeah. Know, he's probably could, but 
um, he's happy as he's got a young family um, and wife now, and he's on the farm back in the neck. He was coaching coastal for a couple of years, oh, um, yeah. but he just bought, he just bought his own um, dairy farm on the coast, living the dream. Oh, loves it, mate. He'll be loving that for sure. Okay, next one. This guy has sent in three, the great niggle goat Dane Coles. First question is, why is he so grumpy? <laughs> I don't know why he's on my case about being grumpy. I just hit him up every single morning within AB's camp telling him to put a smile on his face. Like he walks downstairs <laughs> like he's going to kill someone every day. And I'm like, what's up, Dane? And he just like grabs me or like tries to punch me in the ribs. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, mate, it's chess week. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but relax. You can smile and like, have a chat with me, Dane. He's like, nah, fuck off. <laughs> oh, the niggle goat. Jeez, I love him. Our next one was, you are the world's biggest grub. Just a statement. A statement from Dane, not a question. No. Okay. I feel like he... He must have sent that through to you in his glass house, Jabba. <laughs> what do you reckon? Are you a grub? You used to love the um, collar grab. You were very good at the collar grab too, till Quentin Strange got you one week. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost so good at the collar grab that Maddie Proctor and a few boys and Cole was in the canes. We actually started training the collar grab. We grabbed those stretch bands in the gym and hold them up and actually – train collar grabbing for the weekend. Um, it probably didn't go too well for the team. We ended up getting penalised for um, retaliation <laughs> and the high penalty count for a few years because boys are so highly strung. So I had four older brothers growing up, Jabber, and um, I was a ticking time bomb for, for the most part. I just antagonised me and it didn't t- take too much to get a bite. So um, I guess that's is a bit of that burning inside me. You're not too bad on the field, though, are you? Uh, look, I've, I'd like to think I've grown out of that phase a wee bit, Jabber, and control that sort of niggle um, and use it in the right form. But mm. it's still a little bit there somewhere. Well, if anyone can teach you how to use your niggle, it's Dane Coles. <laughs> oh, that's right. You learn from the best. <laughs> oh, mate, he still loves it, eh? Okay, and the last one he sent in is, why do you want to fight Ben May at captain's run? Oh, I think he's referring to a time in Sydney, Waratahs, first game of the season. Hang on, it might have been the game that um, you pop your shoulder jabber. Oh, jeez, Carmichael your, Hunt. You put your head in the sky and try to tackle Carmichael Hunt. Tackle too soon. Won't be doing that again. That's why I retired. <laughs> no, I, I, turned, I turned up to Captain's Run, didn't have the right socks on, and they knew I had a short fuse. And I'd just bite at anything. Obviously, very competitive, and I think they're having a red hot crack at me. So I'd just bite back and got to a point where during Captain's Run, he'd kept coming over and standing beside me enough and talking to me and like trying to pull up my ankle socks that I was wearing that I was just clenched, wanted to drop him, but I knew Bama. Obviously, good May, and I could just never do that. But geez, I was at boiling point. <laughs> oh, that would have been some scrap. And Colsey just be in the background, like poking and prodding and laughing, and like well, I actually thought it more about turning around and chinning him. <laughs> oh, Colsey's good at that, eh? Just poking the beer from a distance. 
<laughs> oh, good yarns. Okay, last question for the Don. One piece of advice Geordie Barrett has for our listeners, and I know you've scattered some great insight throughout this podcast, so I'm looking forward to the, your best one. Look, I've got, got a few pieces of advice, Chabba, but look, okay. I think um, for the young listeners, like the kids and people at high school, like, I guess just thinking about myself, the thing that set me up most for my career and where I am now is what I did when I was at primary school and at high school. Like, I'd spend hours and hours just in bare feet, kicking a ball at primary school, over the post, playing footy, never inside. I'm at school, bow would finish, I'd go back to the hostel, chuck my boots on if we didn't have footy training, and I'd just go down and just kick goals until dinner. Mm. And it was the same with cricket um, at home on the lawn, just bowl and bowl and bowl and bat with my brothers. So I guess I, and like I was fit at, at that age, like I, I did a lot of long distance cross country running. And mum always said to me, look, she, she, my parents were never really pushy around things within our footy um, of how well we played or what we were doing. They never actually give any advice. The only thing that mum ever pushed us boys into was getting fit. And we'd we'd be training long distance all the time. And she only ever said she made us do it because we just enjoy it more. Um, and once we're through the other side, we found we did enjoy it. We were better at mm. it, better at sport. We enjoyed it because we were fit. And I guess thankful for, I guess, doing a lot of work as a young kid. I feel like it's too late to start training hard when you're 18, 19 or in academies or trying to make up later. But the best work you do is when you're a shin kicker running around um, with a footy ball in hand. Mate, oh, oh, that is so good. Get fit. That is great advice from Robin. Yeah. Yeah, Robin. Robin Barrett, absolute legend. Oh, mate, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Oh, it's been a long time coming, this one. I've been I've been waiting for years to get you on. And, uh, yeah, like I said at the start, I'm stoked to have you on. Stoked to be able to show this to Toby in the morning. You're an absolute idol. So, obviously, I love my time playing with you at the Canes. Um, you're an absolute lad, champion bloke. So, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Jabba. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And last piece of advice, enjoy it. Stop and smell the roses along the way. Enjoy it. That's uh, any more, mate. You've got so much advice. One more. <laughs> Just cut me off, Jebba. Cut me off. <laughs> Absolute foghorn. <laughs> <laughs>